We are so thankful, Father, that we can come together and that we can lift our eyes, that our eyes can be on you because of your goodness to us, because you love us, because you know us. We look to you this morning. And Father, we are thankful that you are a God who does not stay far, but who has come near to us in Jesus. So as we come together and we open your word this morning and we study the life of your son, God, we thank you for Jesus and for the cross and for him rescuing us that we can be with you and look to you in all that we go through. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Good morning, church family. My name is Derek. If I don't look familiar, it's because I'm wearing my glasses. I threw a few of you off this morning. I usually wear contact lenses. All right. Is that one of those songs that we just finished? Is that one of those times where it's easier to, to sing it than mean it? Or is it just me? It is well with me. It is well with my soul. Thankfully, as a Christian, we can look to the eternal and know that it will be well as we walk with Jesus. But when you came in here this morning or during that song or as you think about what you've been through in your life or what's going on in your life now, is it easy to sing, it is well with me? Some of that song also said, through it all. And this morning, I want us to be thinking a little bit. I want you to be tracking with me. I want you to be thinking, what is it that you have gone through? And what is it that you are going through? Because through it all, we do want to keep our eyes on Jesus. And through it all, it can be well. Let me ask you some questions as we get started. Has God's path for you ever taken you through things you wouldn't have wanted or chosen? Oh, it doesn't sound like anybody even relates to that. No, no I got lots of murmuring relating to that. Uh, for me, I would definitely not have chosen some of the painful uh, events and difficult circumstances of my childhood, um, things that I experienced growing up, but I have seen how God is at work in my life. Another question for you. Has God ever directed you into something that you didn't expect or that you did not plan for? Yeah. There was a time, uh, there was a time many years ago when I did not think becoming an adoptive parent was for me. And, uh, and therefore, if I didn't think that becoming an adoptive parent was for me or for my family, then I didn't expect to endure the challenges related but I can tell you that now I wouldn't have it any other way because there are tremendous joys. That come as a result. What about this one? In your life as a Christian, have you ever felt lured away, tempted away from what you know to be God's good purposes for you? Have you ever felt lured or tempted away from him? 
Personally, I am saddened, frustrated, irritated on a daily basis by my sinful rebellion against God. But God is transforming me, making me new. As you have followed Jesus, have you ever ended up in a place you knew nothing about, filling a role you once figured was not for you? Hi, my name is Derek, and I was a, long, a, a lifelong Californian who'd never been a lead pastor, and I find myself in some Dallas, trying my best and asking God to help me be the shepherd of this church family. God leads us in. <laughs> God calls us to places we know nothing about and gives us roles that we did not intend. Um, and that's a big challenge for me and my whole family. There's a lot to absorb. There are moments that are hard. We each have our moments of, 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 of dealing with the change. But overall, I have to say that you all, our new church family, are making it really easy to jump in. So thanks for your love and care and, uh, and uh, reaching out to us in different ways and uh, your continued grace with me for the next about three years until I learn your name. So that'll be great. You like how I'm like buying myself time there? Okay, grab yourself a Bible and open to, if you haven't already, open to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, this is where Pastor Ed read our scripture for us already, and we are going to take some time now to walk through it and take a closer look. We are beginning a new teaching series. We're really just at the beginning of a new teaching series, as he also said, called God-Man as we study the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And um, we are studying through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we want to know more about Jesus. So let's look together at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And there we read, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let's just get on the same page a little bit here. The word gospel, some of you know it, some of you don't. It's okay. The word gospel means really good news. And so we want to ask ourselves, at the beginning of Mark, he says, here's what Mark is about. Here's why I'm writing this. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what good news are we talking about? Because look at that. In verse 1, it says, the gospel of Jesus. So is it, is it the gospel that Jesus proclaims, or is it the gospel the good news about Jesus? Both. That's kind of fun. The good news that Jesus proclaims is the good news about Jesus that Jesus brings. And the, and the gospel of Mark, therefore, this book in our Bible called Mark, is all about Jesus, the God-man. I've got a really profound statement for you here. This is going to be difficult to track with, but I know you're smart. Okay, ready? This is, this is going to be something we find throughout our journey through the book of Mark. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that pretty cool? But, but sometimes we miss this. Followers of Jesus, if, you're, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you, then you imitate the master. If you are a follower of Jesus, you follow Jesus. You go where Jesus goes. You, you do what Jesus says. You, you watch him, you listen, and you learn to follow and so when John the baptizer arrives on the scene in our passage, in verse 4, he 
it, it, we, we'll pick it up in verse 4, but when John the Baptist arrives on the scene, he is doing nothing but pointing to Jesus. Verse 4 says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Here's another important word, repentance. You'll see on the screen, it can mean to turn away. It's a little, a little funny here, right? A definition that I found says to turn back, to turn away from, or toward. So which is it? Well, really, that's a good definition here of what we want to happen in our lives as we follow Jesus, followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. And so in doing so, we want to turn away from, turn back from our old selves, our old way of life, our sinful rebellion against God, our holding God at arm's length because we think we can do it on our own. We want to turn away from that and turn toward him. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. So we turn away from our sin, our rebellion, and turn to God. Followers follow. What does following look like? Following Jesus is to be a total commitment to serving God. Total commitment. Life-long, life-committed, relying on Him, doing His will, His will, living for Him. And anything short of that requires repentance. So for me, repentance is a daily issue. Right? Because, we, because following Jesus is, is a total life commitment, relying on him, living for him. And when we fall short of that, we need to repent. We need to turn away from our own tendencies, our own sinful actions, our selfish ambitions and desires, and put Jesus first. Yes, we must come to believe in Jesus and trust in him and entrust our lives to him. But what comes before that is realizing that we have need if you haven't yet become aware that you have need, then I hope you are and that you can repent and you can turn to God. What's the message of John the baptizer? Look at verse 7. Got you. Keep your finger in the text this morning. Keep your finger in your Bibles. That's where we hear from God. Verse 7, John the baptizer preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I don't think John the baptizer had a real easy gig. I don't think he had a really easy life. But John's message is all about Jesus. He honors God by honoring the mission he was given. John the baptizer went against the grain of his culture and he obediently fulfilled his God-given mission, pointing the way to the coming rescuer. He did what God asked him to do. And we read in that, you read there in your verses, if you've got your finger in the text, crowds were coming. Crowds and crowds of people and responding to, to uh, John the baptizer's preaching. And this could have gone to his head. I'm sure he could have let, it, let the crowds 
uh, go to his head and become, begin seeking glory for himself, begin making a name for himself. Wow, this, is, this stuff's kind of working. I seem to have some attention here. Maybe I should uh, do this or say this and bring attention to myself. That could have easily happened. But John the baptizer sought glory instead for God, taking the opportunity that he had to humbly point to the coming rescuer, the God-man, Jesus Christ. In John, in the Gospel of John, another one of the stories about Jesus' life, we get another uh, a little glimpse of John the baptizer, and this is on the screen. We see John's humility and his proper view of Jesus. We see in John 3.30 how, Jesus, uh, how John the baptizer sees Jesus and the place he must have in our lives because this is John the baptizer speaking about Jesus. That he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. You see that logo on the screen there, he is greater than I. I think it's just a really great visual of this Bible verse, right? That he is greater than I. That he must be greater. That I must be lesser. I think it's a great visual. It's just a good reminder for me. You know what it is? It's the logo of a clothing company. He is greater than I. Based in Hawaii. They have great hats and t-shirts and stuff. What is this, Pastor Derek? Is this product placement in a sermon? Are you sponsored by he is greater than I? I wish. Maybe they'll hear about this sermon. Uh, no, they're just, it's helpful for me. I just think it's cool. I think the logo's cool. I think they are all about Jesus. John the baptizer is all about Jesus. I want to be all about Jesus. And that's why we're studying through the gospel of Mark, right? Let's keep going in our passage this morning. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized. Wait, wait, let me back up. Verse 9. I think I misread something. In those days, Jesus from Nazareth, uh, came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. What? Why did Jesus, the God-man, God himself, come to be with us? Why did Jesus approach John the baptizer and request and submit to baptism? Baptism was, was commonly regarded, it was symbolic for washing of, of sin, to be made clean. Why is Jesus coming to look for um, baptism? John the Baptist, we just read, what was he preaching? He was preaching repentance, turn away and turn to God. He was preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus says, I want to be baptized. And you're saying, What? Because if you read your Bibles and you know about Jesus, you know Jesus to be God himself. You know that in his human life, he was without sin. He doesn't need to be baptized. What's the deal here? We wouldn't think. In our, in our logic, our human thinking, we wouldn't think that Jesus, the God-man, would need to be baptized. But here we have Jesus modeling for us willingness, desire, to do God's will, showing us how to honor God by being obedient to what God has in store. And this is the cool thing, is Jesus' obedience in submitting to baptism and then 
his obedience to following God's plan for his life through his ministry and to his death and resurrection, Jesus' obedience is part of the way that God worked to rescue us. Jesus wasn't baptized because he needed baptism. He needed to be baptized so that he could identify with me, sinful man that I am. Jesus didn't need to be baptized so he could be saved. He needed to be baptized so he could identify with you and become your rescuer, become your representative before God, and take your sin and my sin with him to the cross. So Jesus came and was baptized to show us obedience to the Father. Verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11 are fun. Look at them and get your finger there in the text. In verses 10 or 11, we have a Trinity sighting. What's this word Trinity? Some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't. The word Trinity refers to the way we view God, the threeness and the oneness simultaneously about our God. So we've called, in, in, in church circles, they've started calling this aspect, this description of God, the Trinity. Now the word Trinity is not a word that you will find in your Bible, but it is absolutely taught in your Bible. And here's a place. Uh, no, we'll look at that in a second. And here on the screen is what we believe about our great God, that there is one God, that's his oneness, one God, eternally existing in a loving unity of three equal, equally divine persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Hard to get our human brains around, but a oneness and a threeness simultaneously is what we believe. And verse 10 and 11 in your text there, and when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Holy Spirit, there's one, right? Descended on him like a dove and the voice came from heaven. Who's the voice? God the Father, there's two. You are my beloved son, there's three. Threeness and oneness, all present in the, in the baptism of Jesus. A voice from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Can you imagine being there? That would have been a cool day to observe. The baptism of Jesus, the sky opening, the spirit descending like a dove, the voice of God saying how much he loves Jesus and how pleased with Jesus he is. That must have been quite a sight. Jesus is the beloved son of God and God is pleased with him. And then verse 12, the spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with wild animals. Wait, what? He drove him out into the desert to be, to be tempted and, and battled with Satan and there's dangerous animals. The father just said, I love you, son. I'm pleased with you. Now here you go. That seems a little rough. You mean, 
living for God isn't always easy and comfortable? You mean that God's good purposes for my life, for your life, might include hardship and difficulty? Let's consider that phrase, drove him out. In the original language, the, the Bible was, this part of the Bible was written in Greek, and they translated a word, uh, ekbalo, into uh, what you see in your translations in front of you. And, and we have drive him out. What else do you have? Consent, compelled him, I think. Uh, this is a word, what's interesting about this word that they translated drove him out is that it's, it's, it's a casting out, ejecting something. It's almost got kind of a violent feeling to it. It's used elsewhere in Mark to refer to Jesus casting out demons out of people. There's sort of a violence to it. And if there's a violence to it, it would seem that there's resistance to it, but not in this case. Not in this use of the word. When this word is used about Jesus, it's not indicating that he is resistant to being sent because we've already seen that Jesus is all in on the Father's plan. That Jesus is a willing participant in obeying and submitting to the desires of God's rescue plan. So here, what we have instead is ekbalo. He is driven out. He is sent. He is compelled. It gives us a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit directing Jesus to where God wants him to be. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Now here you go. Now go over there. Now experience this. God Loving Heavenly Father. Go there. Into where? My translation says into the wilderness. Some of them say into the desert. So the bottom line here is Jesus is being sent even further. They're already out in the wilderness. Now he's being sent kind of even further away from all humanity to be by himself, to be alone. He's being sent far from friends and from the comforts of home. And if just being sent into the wilderness once wasn't enough, he's being sent, compelled, driven into the wilderness where he encounters the evil one and where there are dangerous animals. A spiritual battle is in store for him. And this needs to remind us that following Jesus won't always be an easy journey. And if someone tried to tell you that so that you would follow Jesus, that's a bummer. Because following Jesus is well worth it. Now and in the life to come. But following Jesus isn't a a card to a, a free and easy life. And many of you well know. Following Jesus won't always be an easy journey. I think as Americans, um, we have it pretty easy. And one of the reasons we generally have it pretty easy is because in comparison to the, the vast, vast majority of the world, you and I are rich. And so as Americans, we tend to have it pretty easy because we can generally solve our own problems. 
we generally can be pretty independent. We can take care of ourselves because we don't tend to have a lot of great glaring needs. And so I think uh, because of that, we think we can take care of ourselves and, and we don't really know what difficulty is, what persecution is. However, God sometimes drives us toward or allows us to experience trials, temptation, difficulties, new challenges, pain, spiritual battles. I love you. Now go there. Now experience this. This is all under the same umbrella of our loving God. This is part of following Jesus. Earlier, I was alluding to the fact that God's path for my life has included some wilderness in different ways, past and current. Wilderness including difficulty and painful circumstances in my childhood. Wilderness times right now, the challenges of parenting, the way that the challenges of parenting bring to the surface my sinful nature. That is a wilderness that God is helping me through. The wilderness of, of giving in to, to, to temptation, falling into sin, past, present. The wilderness of, uh, of being in a place and in a role I didn't expect and where I need lots of help. What wilderness have you experienced? What have you been through? What are you currently enduring as you follow Jesus? If we, um, are you thinking of those things? The difficulties, the trials, the temptation, the suffering, pain, challenges. If we question all of those if the things we endure make us question our great God, if we expect God to let us run rampant through life, occasionally going against his good plans and purposes, if we expect that to happen without his discipline, we're mistaken. If we... Uh, think that, you know, God feels bad for us when we struggle, but he really can't help us any. He's powerless to help us. Those things are wrong. Those are wrong impressions. There's an author I read this week, Mark Galley. He wrote this. He is instead a God who is in control of history and in control of our lives. Indeed, he is gentle and merciful, and kind. But he is also strong to save, and he refuses to pamper us. He's a good dad. So he refuses to pamper us. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Following Jesus won't always be an easy journey. Have you asked God to help? Um, have you ever asked God in the midst of, of the trials to understand what he's doing? Have you ever asked him to give you his eyes 
for the situation. And he doesn't always tell us. I think that's really hard. When we're in the midst of pain and trial and, and suffering, it's, it's really difficult to see God's big picture. And he doesn't always reveal to us what he's up to. But ask him. Ask him to. And if he does it in the midst of it, perhaps later when you're looking back on that trial or hard time, you'll see with his eyes what he was up to. Do you ever ask him to help you see his purposes for what you're going through? Because friends, don't miss this. Because friends, God is powerfully at work and God works according to his great purposes and his great purposes include his glory and your good. He's at work for his glory and what's good for you and I. Therefore, followers of Jesus follow Jesus even into the wilderness. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus, trusting him even in the wilderness. Following Jesus looks like obeying, doing what he says, going where he goes, listening to what he has to say in your life. Following Jesus looks like doing his will, obeying him, even when it includes suffering and trial and hardship and temptation. Um, I had a professor who um, really um, helped something to hit home for me. I had a professor who talked about the importance of you and I having a theology of trials. An understanding of God, theology means our study of God, So our study of God, our understanding of God needs to also include suffering and God's use of suffering. And so this professor of mine wrote a book even called uh, 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 Thinking Right When Things Go Wrong. Because think about this. Think about the importance for you as a follower of Jesus to have a theology of trials. If you don't have a good understanding of our God and his use of suffering, then when suffering comes, what happens? You turn away. You question and go, come on, God. What are you doing that for? If we don't have an understanding of our great God and his use of suffering, then we we reject it and we think that he's mean and and it's too hard and we give up on God. And what about those in your lives that are not followers of Jesus? When the difficulties come, wouldn't they love to blame it on God? Some would. But you know what? That's an awesome opportunity for you and I to give them hope in the midst of suffering. And that's the best opportunity for you and I as Christians to have a theology of trials that says our God is great and he works through difficulties and suffering. And that's part of what he has for me. And because I know that when I suffer and I endure hard times, it doesn't cause me to run from him. It doesn't cause me to turn from him. It doesn't cause me to reject him. It helps me to lean into him because I need him because he's there for me. So we need to have a theology of trials. Verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. And, look in your, look in your verse there, and the angels were ministering to him. 
Jesus was in the wilderness. He was surrounded by evil. He was surrounded by danger. But Jesus was not alone. And you, my friends, are not alone either. The Holy Spirit, God himself, is with you when you find yourself in the wilderness. And I just had a conversation this morning that reminded me of the importance of you and I knowing that you are not alone in the wilderness. The evil one, the Satan, would like nothing better than to trick you into thinking that you're the only one that screws up in that way. The evil one would love to lie to you and tell you what a mess you are. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should hide that because you're a sinful mess and no one will be able to understand you. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because what needs to happen is we need to get out of the darkness and into the light. We need to have a friend in Christ who we can talk to, who can hear the truth of my life, including the ugly parts, and who will love me and extend God's grace to me, and where I can get out of the darkness and into the light. Because you are not the only one struggling in the area you think you're struggling in. God is with you. And then let's finish with this. If, what, how does God want to use this in your life? The difficulties and the pain and the trials. If he sent you there, if he sent you into it as part of his good purposes for you, what might be one thing he wants to do with it? As we continue um, in, in Mark, the next few verses, the next few paragraphs, you're going to see Jesus in ministry, preaching the good news, healing people, performing miracles. He goes from the desert and this misery and this struggle, and then next thing you know, Jesus is doing amazing things for God's glory and preaching the good news. The desert was preparation for giving of himself. Being in the wilderness was preparation for Jesus to begin ministering, to begin caring, to begin serving other people. And I have seen that in my life. I have seen how God has used the wilderness times in my life to prepare me to care better for others. Does that make sense? And I'm not just talking about pastor guy up here. I'm talking about you. That as God has led you through times in the wilderness, he has prepared you to better care, love, serve and minister to the people around you. Because look on the screen at God's word in 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Why does he comfort us? He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves received from God. Isn't that awesome? God is with you, friends, in all that you're going through. God will be your comfort. Turn to him. And then it says, blessed be that great God, because he comforts others through me with the comfort that I've received from him. And that was quite a tongue twister. Go read it a few times, and I think you'll get it better than I Father God, you are good and awesome and mighty and powerful. 
And we this morning want to lift our eyes to you and say, blessed be your name. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We worship you this morning. We come to you, our God of comfort. Thank you for comforting us in our afflictions. Thank you for walking with us in the difficulties. And God, as you carry us through the wilderness and you bring us out on the other side according to your good purposes, God, may we be vessels, may we be conduits of your comfort to others around us, others who so desperately need your comfort. Use us, Lord, to share the good news and your love and comfort with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, thank you that we can sing, it is well. Thank you that we can put our eyes on you, the God of all comfort, and we can sing, it is well, because you are with us, and because your grace abounds to us, because you forgive and love and transform us and make us new. So God, in all that we're going through, the joys and the ups and the downs and the difficulties and the painful circumstances, we come to you, our God of all comfort. Thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. And friends, if you um, need that God of comfort, and we can help you in any way, pray for you, support you, let us know. Come talk to some one of us or a Christian near you. If you would like to know more about following the God-man Jesus, we would love to talk to you about the rescue, about the salvation, about the life that is available in him. So again, talk to us. We'd love to find out how we can help you. Have a great Sunday. Say hi to somebody near you before you go. And uh, have a great week.